Fun question. How old do you have to be before you can date? In my house, it's going to be 36. No problem, because I'm not there when, yet. When you're older than mom. <laughs> we'll see. What's the 10th grade? Not the 10th, 10th grade. Okay, if you say so, I mean... And we have to meet them first. I've got a gun. I've got two guns. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, no matter see, what my parents are going to have a different answer than me. My dad's going to um, say, like, 31. 35. 30. 35, 36. Tell me how your parents encourage you. Hugs? Yes. What else? We kiss. hug monster, too. They care for you and take care of you. If somebody needs you through all of life through their ups through their downs through their challenges is that we love them well hello heritage I want to welcome all of you I want to greet our family out at Rock Island I want to greet those online and all of you here at our Bettendorf campus this is week three of our family tree series a journey where we're looking at a bit of the who what why and how of family and we started by looking at how we add quality to quantity in week one and last week we looked at how we the patterns we have and follow they define us and our family but this weekend, we're moving into a lesser discussed area that we're simply calling kidolatry. Kidolatry. Say that with me. Say kidolatry. All right. Now listen, I want to clarify again that this series is not for just married people and parents and kids. This is for everyone. For married and single, for young and old, those who have kids, those who do not have kids. Because the principles we're talking about apply to the people of God. And I'm glad you're here. Now, I realize, though, that some of you have already deduced and even declared to somebody next to you that this is not a real word. <laughs> it's not. It's a play on words. It's a play on the word idolatry, which many of you know is defined as the religious worship of idols. The religious worship of idols. But it's also defined as excessive or blind adoration, reverence, devotion, etc. It's divine honor paid to created objects. And it's something God pretty much despises. He's been very clear for thousands of years about the problems and challenges with idolatry. And that every time we try to elevate something so that it rivals his prominence, or where it equals or even surpasses his importance in our lives, that's an idol. It leads to idolatry, and that's a sin. It was a struggle for the people in the Old Testament around this area. It's a struggle for the people in the New Testament, and it can be a struggle for us as well. Now, idolatry can apply to a number of different things, but I want to narrow the wedge and focus in on family and kids, keeping in mind that this is not just for parents and kids, but this is for everyone. The principles apply to everybody, all the people of God. But we're looking at this idea and pursuing the concept of kidolatry because kidolatry is the religious worship of kids. It's the excessive or blind adoration reverence of our kids. And it's something that we can get jammed up in. See, kidolatry in many ways positions us into idolatry. Kidolatry is idolatry, and it's a problem. Whether we're doing it, or whether we're allowing it to be done to us. Whether we're elevating our kids, or we're allowing our parents to elevate us. 
It was a number of years ago that I was in the grocery store. You know on the way out there's always the magazines and the final purchase items there. I saw a magazine, it was a Reader's Digest, and on the cover of the Reader's Digest was First Lady Michelle Obama. Now, it caught my eye, not because she was on the cover, she was doing an interview and article about family values. What caught my eye was not her, but the teaser statement about the interview. It's in this circle right here. We can blow it up even further so you can follow along as I read it. She said, everything we do must be for our children. Now, at first, that sounds good, that sounds, that sounds noble, but it's not healthy or biblical. Now, I don't know the context of her statement. I saved $3.59 by not buying the Reader's Digest that day, and I didn't read it in line. And I'm not even identifying this to indict her. I'm simply identifying this as an example of how many people think that everything we do must be for our children. But everything we do must not be for our children. Yet many parents and families function in this thinking. It's so pervasive that it's influenced families to extremes. There's an extreme that we've even given a new name to. We call that extreme helicopter parenting. You ever heard of that? Helicopter parenting. Let me read to you a, a description of it that I found. This is helicopter parenting. A helicopter parent is an over-involved and overprotective mom or dad, like this mom in this picture, <laughs> who believes that loving their child and being a good parent means protecting them from anything even slightly negative or averse, and making sure they succeed at whatever they think the child should be able to accomplish regardless of what the child wants. By not allowing the child, though, to deal with the negative, painful consequences of immature, bad, stupid, irresponsible, sinful, or at times even illegal choices, the helicopter parents rob their kids of the opportunity to learn from their mistakes. And after Years, of, after, years later, after graduating from college, many are still dependent upon mom and dad, and in some cases, still live with mom and dad. They don't know how to deal with failure, take responsibility for their mistakes, and they end up blaming everyone else for their problems. That's helicopter parenting. Now, listen, kids are important. It, it, I love my boys. I would do anything for my boys. I would take their sickness upon them if I could. I would defend them if attacked. I would comfort them and struggle. I would carry them when they're tired. I would spend my time, my treasure, my very life for them. If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But there's a difference between giving value and prominence, between building up and lifting up. There's a difference between pursuing important things and pursuing our purpose. And to love our kids well may mean that we will die for them, but it does not mean we live for them. Sacrificing is different than elevating our kids. Making everything about our kids is not biblical. It, it, it elevates our kids into positions where we end up living in idolatry. So today, I want to look at a different way where we can honor our kids, give value to our kids, and at the same time still honor God and live into the purpose that he has for us. Whether you're a parent or a kid, whether you have kids or do not. Now, in this family tree series, we've been using some instructions that Moses gave us in the book of Deuteronomy, and I want to go back to them as we step a little bit further because they kind of frame for us the foundation for our series. This is in Deuteronomy. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road and when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. 
These are really important things. The, the, the family is one of God's primary missional communities. And when the family functions well, it's very powerful and effective. And Moses gives us some very specific times of day when we as families can, can add quality to quantity, when we can invest appropriately in our families. But, here, but the challenging dynamic is that this family piece is challenging. And it's challenging because the hardest place to fake spirituality is in the home. That's your first fill-in if you're tracking in the sermon note guide. Just a tool you got on the way and encourage you to use it. But the principle is that the hardest place to fake spirituality is in the home. Our families know if our spirituality, our faith is real or not. Our families know it. If our relationship with Jesus is authentic, it should be evident in every relationship, but it's the family dynamic that will most likely test that faith. And our families know us best, and they have likely seen us at our worst. So if our faith is real, our families know it. And the hardest place to fake spirituality is in the home. Look, look, parenting, whether you're raising your, the kids you gave physical birth to or whether you're raising the spiritual kids God has put in your life, it can be very humbling. And there are many opportunities to learn how much we need to learn. <laughs> Being parents teaches us to be servants. And adding quality to quantity is one way to do that. And the four times of the day that, that Moses talks about is a starting point. And for us in this series, we're looking at four distinct areas that we need to consider in the four times that Moses gave us. Those four areas, just as a review, are our time, our communication, our role, and our goal. It's the time we have, the communication that we're giving in that moment, the role we have in that moment, and the goal we're trying to accomplish. Those four things become the, the top-level look of how we live out the four times that Moses identified. And we're calling those morning, morning drive, meals, and night. Those four times become, the, the underneath the column underneath time, become the influencing reality for how we live out communication, role, and goal. And last week, we looked at what we communicate in each of those four times, just encouraging words and formal dialogue, formal conversation, and intimate words. But this week, I want to give you the handholds around the column of role. And here's the role that we should be looking to play in each of those four times. In the morning, it's teacher. On the drive, it's friend. At meals, it's counselor. And at night, it's coach. These are the hats, if you would think in that way, that we should be wearing as we seek to add quality to the quantity and in influencing our families. It's teacher, friend, counselor, and coach. Now, we're committed to helping you do this as, as families. And so in your note guide again this week on the bottom of page three are some sample questions for engaging around the morning time just to get you started. We also encourage you that if you have preschool or elementary age students to download the Parent Q app. That app will work directly into these four times. It connects also into the curriculum that we use across our Heritage Network. And it's a great place to start in this conversation as we invest for generations to come. Now, having said that, investing in generations ahead of us is a full-time task. It, it, I already acknowledge that it's at home that exposes what is real and what is fake in our relationships. And as a husband, as a, as a parent, as a child myself, I've come to understand that, that marriage and parenting is kind of, the, kind of a best of times, worst of time reality. <laughs> Amen? You can have these wonderful, beautiful moments at the same time, these heartbreaking, challenging dynamics. It's best of times, worst of times. And, and, and we're not designed to do it alone. That, that African proverb that says it takes a, a village to raise a child, that is, that is true, and it's good. The challenge is, 
our towns and villages don't work like that anymore. Which is why it's increasingly important that we reestablish connection, that we live connected, that we live linked in community in the context of the church for encouragement, for support, for affirmation, for wisdom. We're not to journey alone. We journey together. And we need to maximize these gathering moments. But that's not enough. The life that God wants you to live doesn't fit in an hour on Sunday. There's more to it than that. There's 168 hours in the week. If we invest one hour gathering with God's people, there's 167 hours that are still left to be managed and, and, and places to invest. It's true for us personally. It's true for us in our family, especially for our kids. And that's really important to understand because what happens at home is more formative than what happens here. What happens at home is more formative than what happens here. It's more foundational than what happens here. It actually, what happens at home sets a trajectory for what can happen here. It's important. What happens at home is more formative than what happens here. And with that in mind, the Apostle Paul provides some very clear instruction for how the Christian home is to function, how families in particular are to relate to each other. In Ephesians chapter 6, particularly around the parents and children and how that relationship should go. So if you've got a Bible, feel free to grab it and click or turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. It's past the Corinthians and Galatians, then you're into Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter 6. It's going to be up on the screen, but it's also in your note guide. We're picking this up. Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 1. But I want to give you a caveat. I want to make a disclaimer about this particular passage of Scripture. This is not the end-all, be-all passage for explaining every parent-child situation. Some situations are unique. They require special consideration that incorporates the whole of Scripture. What we're going to read today is instruction for the Christian household that is positioned reasonably healthy. In situations where the parents are not Christians, in situations where, where the children have a greater spiritual maturity than the parents, or in situations where there is abuse, the response will be different. And we need to respond based on the whole of Scripture and not one verse. So let's take a look, Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. These words written by Paul are instructions for the Christian household, but, but, but there is a core design that is reflected here that, that positions families to be great, that allows families to grow into greatness. And, and that core design and principle is simply this, that great families keep parents second. Great families keep parents second and kids third. Did I get you? Were you thinking first? It's third. So great families keep God first, parents second, and kids third. Look, if you want a great family, choose your marriage over your kids. Choose your spouse over your kids. You may think, well, wait a second, I'll do anything for my kids. I'm like, great, then choose your spouse over your kids. Well, isn't that going to harm my kids? No, no. A healthy marriage is the context of a developing a healthy child. And, and, and great families keep parents second and kids third. 
It's essential. Now, it may sound strange, but choosing your spouse ahead of your kids is actually better for your kids. How many of you have ever flown on a commercial airline? Have you ever gone on a trip on a plane? Raise your hand, get them up high, Rock Island, get it up high too. Okay, many of you have done that. All right, now, airline travel's changed a lot over 15 years, and there's many things very frustrating to me about current travel, but I get a lot of the security realities around it. I understand it. They've got a lot of things that are frustrating, but they, I gotta tell you, they have done one thing correctly the whole time, and that is the pre-flight safety briefing. You're familiar with it, you know it. What do they address in that? They address your buckle, how to, how to handle your seatbelt and your buckle. They, they address what the, where the exits are, the exits located, okay? And then they address things like water landings and cabin pressure loss. And when you get to the cabin pressure loss moment is when what happens? Out of the ceiling drops a, a mask. And they instruct you to take that mask, pull the elastic strap backwards, and place it on your child first, right? No, they say put it on you first, then go and put it on your child. Now for parents, that's like, oh, I don't, I don't really want to do that. I would die for my child, so I'm going to put it on my child first. But listen, listen, if, if we do it that way, we're going to incapacitate ourselves, which means the child may not have, be this, they get incapacitated too, and we, we end up both dying. The, the, the reason airlines say put it on yourself first is so that you are positioned to then help your child regardless of what's happening in their world. Now, when we think about it that way, we're like, okay, I can, I can wrap my mind around that, but that's hard for parents to put their own, their own mask on first. And we're tempted to choose our kids over ourselves. But when we do that on a plane, it's when we both die. When we do that spiritually, it's not good for anybody. When we choose our kids over our own spiritual health, we all lose. When we choose our kids over our spouse, we all lose. Great families keep parents second and kids third. It's an important understanding, important principle. If, if parents are out of sorts, fighting, fearful, depressed, angry, then children will be out of sorts. If, if our marriages are out of sorts, kids will be out of sorts. Great families keep parents second and kids third. So let's go back to Ephesians chapter one, verse one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Look, this is a great moment. If you look at the broader context of what Paul was writing and what he was saying, you'll see actually two things. The first of which is by addressing a part of society that was considered to be essentially without rights, Paul elevated, gave dignity and worth, which was unprecedented in Roman culture. The, the fact that Paul took time to speak directly to those who were considered by many to be less important, members of society like wives and children and slaves, he raised the, their level of importance and value and also responsibility in the body of Christ. That's first. The second thing you notice is that Paul is carrying a theme of submission a bit further. He's moving from marriage to children. And his directive here is simple. Children, obey your parents. Now he uses the Greek word technon to describe children, which is most accurately translated as young children living at home. So this command is limited in scope to that keeping in mind that this is also directed to Christian households. <laughs> Yet, even in a Christian household, raising kids can be that wonderful but challenging thing, that best of times, worst of time reality. 
Raising kids, whether they're your own kids by physical birth or kids by spiritual birth, can be hard. It can be amazingly wonderful and amazingly frustrating. And at times, we need some outside input, like instruction from Paul. And sometimes we need help from someone like a super nanny. A super nanny. In fact, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit back and listen to some instruction and some counsel from a man by the name of Tim Hawkins. Check this out. I think if you got kids, you do. You just need help. I don't need health care from the government. I want a nanny. <laughs> I want the super nanny. The super nanny is where this English nanny comes over and helps these demonic possessed children from America. <laughs> and they're just like, ah! Ah! And she never loses her cool. She's like, no, Thomas, no. We don't do that, Thomas, no. What do you mean you just knocked your mother out cold with a pot? That's not what we do. Because I don't know how you were raised. I was raised a little bit different than that. My mom would tell me what she's going to do to me. I'm going to beat the snot out of you. You hear me? I'm going to beat the snot out of you. I'm going to hit your head so hard, snot flies out of the front of your skull. It's going to be awesome. Oh, she was detailed. I'm going to spin your head off like a lid on a pickle jar. I'm going to take my leather belt with my name on it. I'm going to beat you and brand you at the same time. I'm like, Mom, you're the worst mommy in the world. No, I took second last year. I'm going for first this year. Here's the deal. I think they should let me be the super nanny. Oh, you might want to tune in. Because there will be some violence going down on that show. <laughs> the super nanny will be a whole different experience for the viewer. Like, no, Thomas, no. Come on, let's go. I'm going to drive you off a naughty cliff. Come on. No, you don't need your shoes. You're not coming back. Come on. <laughs> Say goodbye to your brother and sister. Let's go meet Jesus. Come on, let's go meet Jesus. <sighs> Raising kids is simultaneously wonderful and challenging. And Paul's instructions here, though, they're just they're pretty simple. But it can be hard to follow for, for parents and kids especially if the parents are not Christians. But, but that's why Paul's next three words are so important. When he says, obey your parents in the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord. Ooh. When, when a parent tells a child to do something that is immoral, unethical, or unbiblical, God's law surpasses the will of the parent. Aside from that, children are to obey their parents. That's the way God designed it. Jesus himself submitted to the authority of his earthly parents, even though he had authority as Messiah. We can read this about him in Luke. It said that he, Jesus, went down to Nazareth with them, and he was what? He was obedient. He was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Look, children may test their parents' limits and even disobey, but it's in obedience to parents' authority that children begin to understand obedience to God's authority. 
God's plan for his people includes healthy family relationships where obedience and respect and submission and love for one another exist. And when parents and children have that, then they begin to grow a great family. But it starts with obedience, yet it doesn't stop there. It starts with obedience. Verse 1 is just the beginning, and it moves beyond obedience to honor. Look with me into verse 2. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Paul instructed not only children to obey their parents, but to honor them as well. And that may seem like redundant, but obeying and honoring are different. To obey means to do what another person says. To honor means to respect and love. And the truth is, we obey in seasons, but we honor for a lifetime. We obey in seasons, but we honor for a lifetime. Think about it, think about it this way. When you have a, a couple, you have the, the parents in a family, and, and they end up having kids, and you have a kid who's a little kid, just maybe a preschooler, and, and then maybe have a, a teenager or a, a preteen, or they start to grow a little bit older. In the relationship between the parents to those children, it begins to change. When that child grows up and that child becomes an adult, that child finds uh, the person, the love of their life, and they leave and cleave and they form a, a new family, the relationship changes. So the dynamic that Paul is talking about when he says, look, children, you need to obey your parents. Obedience happens in seasons. And obedience falls in this arena differently than it looks down the road. A smaller child to a teenage child, there's even slight nuances in that. Obedience, in some sense, is almost this element of diminishing when it comes to our relationship with our parents. It looks one way at this end, looks very different at the other end. We obey in seasons. But Paul also said and called us out to this thing called honor. And we obey in seasons. But when it comes to the issue of honor, honor forms an umbrella that lasts a lifetime. We obey in seasons. We honor for a lifetime. Obedience, you could think of in terms of an action. And honor is a posture. Are you with me? We obey in seasons, but we honor for a lifetime. That's one reason why Moses said, actually shortly before he gave the four times of day in Deuteronomy chapter 5, he said this. He said, honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God has given you. We are called to obey in seasons, but we honor for a lifetime. But here's the interesting twist to this. It's quite possible to obey without honoring. But we can't honor without obeying. In fact, you're still tracking your note guide. It's quite possible to obey without honoring. To obey without what? Honoring. I mean, maybe you've seen a child do this. Where they're standing there going, I'm, I'm only doing this because you told me to do it. Their, their fists are clenched, their teeth are gritting. I'm only doing this because you told me to do it. Maybe you've seen that, or maybe you've done that. Even if they go on to do the task, that is not honoring. Because honor goes beyond obedience. Obedience is, a, is an action. Honor is a posture. Now, again, I realize not all of us are married or parents, but we do this thing with God. 
We obey, we do the task without honor. And on top of that, all of us are children of parents. So this principle connects to all of us. And although our relationships with our parents may range from very significant to non-existent, most of us have some kind of relationship to our parents that has impacted us. They don't even have to be living for relationship with them to still be affecting us, determining the things we even do now and the way we do them. But we can, we can obey without honoring. So to honor really is to show respect and esteem for someone, to treat them with dignity. And children won't always agree with their parents, no matter how old they are. But they can always treat parents with honor and respect. Now keep in mind, this is not the sole burden of kids in this dynamic. Parents play a role in this. And Paul highlights that as he moves on into verse 5 in Ephesians chapter 6, where he says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We're not supposed to provoke our kids. We're not supposed to abandon our responsibility to guide and discipline. Parents have a job to do for their children, to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. A man by the name of William Hendricks put it this way. He said, the heart of Christian nurture is to bring the heart of the child to the heart of their Savior. That's a beautiful, beautiful way to articulate the role of what parents should live for. Parents should live for this, to bring the heart of the child to the heart of the Savior. To do that, we use morning, drive, meals, and night times to add quality to quantity, to, to function as teacher, friend, counselor, and coach. Those roles do not provoke children or exasperate children. Instead, when we are teacher, friend, counselor, and coach, we take time to read the Bible to our children. We tell them the great stories of, of wonderful men and women of the faith, and we pray with them. Even if we encounter resistance from them, even if we encounter whining or complaining, and, and they may even try to play parents off of one another, and they're really good at that, like a mom told me I didn't have to. You know, that kind of dynamic, we persevere in that. And I want to encourage you to embrace a principle that I believe can change the trajectory of your family. In fact, if you remember nothing else from today, I want to encourage you to remember this principle and figure out how it plays out in your life. Here it is. Don't forfeit what you want most for what you want now. Don't forfeit what you want most for what you want now. Too many parents do that. In fact, too many people do that in their own spiritual lives. We choose our way, our desire, our pleasure, and that leads us away from God. We choose what we want now, and we forfeit what we want most. We trade relationship with God for immediate gratification. Fortunately, there's a way back from that. It's through Jesus. When we give our life to Jesus, we ask him to forgive us of our sins. He gives us eternal life, and we can walk with God. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And if you've not yet done that, I encourage you to take time. And on the back of your note guide are some simple steps to do that today, where you can be reconciled to God in relationship. If you've forfeited what you really want most for what you've wanted now, we can do that personally. Parents can do that in the relationship with their kids. Forfeit what we want most for what we want now. So, so if you don't want to do that, don't give in to whining because you're fed up, because you've had enough. Don't acquiesce to the path of least resistance because you're tired. Don't stop doing what is right or enforcing what you said 
Every time you do, you are forfeiting what you want most for what you want now. A, a full life for momentary peace and quiet. A godly character in our kids for a break in our life. Don't forfeit what you want most for what you want now. Are you with me? Okay, let's take this to so what? So what? We create culture in our family. We, we create it at work, in our neighborhood. We create culture whether we intend to or not, whether it's by accident or on purpose. And I want to give you three things that for you to just chew on, take into your quiet time this week, something to consider for how it plays out in your life. The first one is simply that we, we're unlikely to change what we're willing to tolerate. We are unlikely to change what we're willing to tolerate. Whoever you are and wherever you're at in your family, God wants to use you for good, especially in your family. But when you decide to tolerate or accept something, it positions that thing to remain. It won't change until you are no longer willing to tolerate it. If your dynamic isn't what it should be, if your kids are, on, are ha, engaged in unhealthy behavior that doesn't seem to stop, perhaps it's time to look at what you're tolerating. Because we're unlikely to change, we're willing to tolerate. The second thing is that relationships of significance require a fight. They require a fight. You may encounter resistance from whining and flat-out rebellion, but to add quality to quantity, we have to fight for our kids. It requires a fight. Don't quit. Relationships of significance require a fight. Fight for them. There is a battle. There's a spiritual battle for the souls of our kid. kids. Fight for them. Not with them. For them. It's not too late. You can start now. If you haven't done this well before, you can start now. But you can't and should not live for them. You need to fight for them. You need to live for God. When you do that, your kids will be best positioned for everything else. They're not the reason you exist. They're a responsibility that you have. You exist for God. So fight for your kids. Live for God. And be willing to fight that fight. If your ultimate purpose was to raise your kids, then Jesus would have said, when asked what the greatest commandment was, was he would have said to love your kids with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He didn't. He said, love your Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's God first, parents second, kids third. Relationships of significance require a fight. Last, conquer fear with love, not control. Conquer fear with love, not control. And there's tons of things in this world that can stir up fear in us and in our kids. It's actually, I think, the thing that causes helicopter parenting. That because of fear, we revert to control to make sure bad things don't happen. But really, we need to conquer fear with love. Healthy parents understand that God isn't a helicopter parent, and we aren't supposed to be either. We can best serve our kids by teaching them that mistakes are a great opportunity to learn invaluable lessons, to experience God's presence, his provision, his power, his grace, as they journey into becoming responsible adults. So we live as teacher, friend, counselor, and coach, and we conquer fear with love, not control. Here's what John wrote in 1 John 4. He said, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We conquer fear with love, not with control. Now, I realize I've been talking mostly in the context of the traditional family, but the principles are still true for the single parent home, 
They're still true for anyone who follows God. They might look different, may apply them differently, but no matter where you are or where your family is, maybe your family's doing pretty well or maybe your family's on the brink of just fracturing in half. Great families position parents second and kids third, keeping God first. And having said that, I want to leave you all today with the question of how can we influence, how can you influence your family toward God this week? How can you influence your family towards God this week? Maybe you need to elevate him and not other things. Maybe you need to put your mask on first and get spiritually healthy so that you can take care of investing in other people. It's your marriage first, not your kids first. Maybe you need to position your kids to really truly obey and honor. Maybe you as a kid need to obey and honor. Maybe just being a teacher, friend, and counselor and coach is the key for you. But how can, your, how can you influence your family toward God this week? You are in your family and in your dynamic for a reason. God wants to use you for good. When families can live the way God designed them, they become an example of love and grace and forgiveness and that is pretty impactful. And if you're a parent or grandparent, child, you know what I mean. So as we wrap up our time, I want to encourage you to consider where God wants you to influence your family toward him this week because you're there for a reason and he wants to use you for good. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I I thank you that we as the people of God can gather and that in these moments you show up and you do the things that only you can. But I also thank you, Father, that you invite us not only into relationship with you, but you invite us into mission with you. to to live with purpose, to to invest in relationships around us, especially our families, in a manner that bring you glory. Father, I I pray that you forgive us for where we have elevated, created things, where they have rivaled or surpassed your prominence in our life. Forgive us of idolatry or even kidolatry. Forgive us where we have tried to conquer fear with control rather than love. And forgive us where we have tolerated things and allowed them to remain. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people who not only obey, but honor. And not only obey and honor our earthly parents, but that we obey and honor you. So whatever that might look like, I pray that you would speak, even now as we step back into musical worship, Lord, of what what you're calling us to do, how you're calling us to influence our family toward you. So that for for generations to come, your glory and your will will be done. I love you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.